Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up and listen to God's word together. Today's message is part three in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday morning series on Elijah. This message was given on January 17th, 2021. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. When you do, you'll receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this encourages you in your relationship with Christ. And if it does, we would love to connect with you in person sometime. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Very good. Thank you, Don. One of my favorites. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have sent us the bread of life. You have offered us the living waters of your Holy Spirit. Father, may we find satisfaction where only only you can satisfy in your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, by the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit, who he pours out on us. And Father, as we come to your word today, we ask that our hearts would be tuned into your word by the Holy Spirit, that we would be focused on Jesus Christ, that we would leave here today with a deeper appreciation and awe of the power and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We serve the creator of the mountains. The one who moves mountains, and the one who has done some of his most amazing work on the mountains, and we're going to look at one of those mountaintop experiences with God this morning. I heard someone, I don't remember if it was a pastor or someone here at the church, I don't remember who I was talking to, but they had a great idea of a sermon series. They said, you know, sometime we ought to do a sermon series about the mountain experiences with God, and all the times that God did a work on the mountaintops. We could go back to Abraham and Isaac on the mountain when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice the son of the promise. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham so believed in God that he knew that if he did kill his son, that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead because God never breaks a promise. And of course, God intervened and he gave a substitute sacrifice. He was painting a picture. Abraham didn't know it, but we know it. He was painting a picture of what he himself would do in offering his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he would raise him from the dead. We could go to Mount Sinai and talk about the giving of the Ten Commandments. We could talk about the Sermon on the Mount, the transfiguration of Jesus, the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus talked about the time when from the very place He will return, talk about mountaintop experience. We'll be there with Him on that mountaintop experience when He comes back in the second coming. Jesus was talking about that from the very place He would return someday. Well, if we ever do a series on the mountaintop experiences, we'll have to come back to 1 Kings 18 because this is one of the amazing 
mountaintop encounters with God. We're going to go to Mount Carmel today. Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel, pronounce it. You know, you say potato, I say potato. Uh, pronounce it how you want, but this is a picture of Mount Carmel from uh, Israel. It's up in the north cor- northern, uh, northwestern corner overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. And this is where Elijah the prophet had a great encounter with the prophets of Baal, where God showed up in a very visible and powerful way. And there's some things that we want to see and learn from this mountaintop experience that Elijah had this morning. But let me just remind you, as we've gone through the month of January, we've been looking at the life of Elijah, the testimony of Elijah. Today we're going to continue that study as we look not really at Elijah as much as at the God of Elijah, because the name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. And Elijah's testimony is the testimony of the greatness of Yahweh, the greatness of the Lord. We went together through 1 Kings chapter 17. We spent a few weeks looking at the presence of God, looking at the provision of God. Last week, looking at the perplexity of God. And so when we talk about the presence of God, we need to pursue the presence of God. When we talk about the provision of God, we need to depend on and trust in God to provide. When we talk about the perplexity of God, we have to accept the fact that there are many things that we will not be able to understand. But understand this, Elijah was a man with the same kind of struggles that we have. And yet, James tells us in James chapter 5 that when he prayed, God answered. God did some incredible, mighty things. And so, the, the key to experiencing the things that Elijah experiences is where we place our faith. Elijah wasn't a person of supernatural power. He was a person who trusted in a supernatural God. And God demonstrated his power in the life of and through the ministry of Elijah. So, We want to pursue the presence of God this morning. We're going to see that theme continue here in chapter 18. We want to continue to depend on the provision of God. We're going to see that theme repeat here in chapter 18. We want to accept the perplexity of God. Uh, We're going to see that as well. There are some things that God does that we go, God, why did you do it that way? Why Why did you go around that corner? Why didn't you just go through the wall, God? I mean, you can, you can make a path where there is no path. You can make a way where there is no way. Why, did, why do you do things the way that you do? God always has a, a purpose. We don't always get to understand that purpose. But here's what I want to show you today. When we pursue the presence of God, when we depend on the provision of God, when we accept the perplexity of God, then we are ready to experience the power of God, almost. Almost. There's something that we have to understand before we can really begin to experience the power of God in our lives in a similar way than Elijah. Now, I'm not not saying God's going to send literal fire down from heaven as we'll see this morning, but in the supernatural realm, In the invisible world, God does send fire down. We don't always get to see the fire, but we can experience it in our lives. 
when I pursue the presence of God, depend on the provision of God, accept the perplexity of God. Here's, here's the next thing we need to understand from chapter 18. When I submit to the purity of God, then I am ready to experience the power of God. So we're going to see two things about God in this passage. We're going to see his purity and his power. But make no mistake, if I'm not willing to submit to the purity of God, I'm going to be very limited in the amount of God's power that I get to see demonstrated in my life. Oh, I might get to see it as a spectator happening in somebody else's life, but if I want to see God's power at work in my life, I need to submit to his purity. And what better picture could God paint for us of both the purity and the power of God than a torrential cleansing downpour of rain? We'll get there. Let's start, though, in verse 1. As we talk about the purity and power of God today, I want you to see that this story, this history, this historical event unfolds to us in three acts or three stages. There's an introduction, there's a middle and an ending. And in the first part of this account, in Act 1, we see God sends a challenge. God sends a challenge through the prophet Elijah. Look just uh, for starters here at the first couple of verses. 1 Kings chapter 18, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. We have seen already that for three and a half years, James tells us it was actually three and a half years, uh, uh, the writer of 1 Kings says it was, it was in that third year, he doesn't tell us how, how far into that But now we know from James chapter 5 that it was actually three and a half years of drought. God had refused to send the rain, and God did that in response to Elijah's prayer. God did it as a judgment. God did it to teach the nation of Israel some things because of their idolatry. Because they were worshiping God and Baal and Asherah. And so God has been sending some discipline their way. God has been silent, but not absent. And so as we talk about the challenge that God sends, I want to remind you, never confuse God's patience with passivity. Never confuse God's patience with permissiveness. See, sometimes we think because God has not directly spoken, the Holy Spirit hasn't really shouted in our ear in a long time that God must be okay with what I'm doing in my life, the sin that I have in my life, or God must not be aware of the sin in my life. We think foolishly like like spiritual babies, right? Like the little child who thinks because he can't see you, that you can't see his feet sticking out from behind the chair, right? We're hiding. We think, well, I can't see them. They must not be able to see me. And we sometimes think that with God. God isn't preventing me from doing this. God isn't stopping me from doing this. God must be okay with it, or God must not really care that much. But never confuse his patience with passivity or his permissiveness. I want to show you four things in 
this particular section. Number one, prepare with prayer to stand for Christ. For three and a half years, Elijah has been in waiting mode. He's been in a season of waiting, waiting for God to act, waiting for God to move, and he's been praying for the very thing that keeps him waiting, praying that God will not send the rain. But what has he been doing? James tells us what he's been doing. He's been praying. He's not been idle. He's not been twiddling his thumbs. He's not been distracting himself with hobbies, nothing wrong with hobbies, but if they distract us from the work of prayer, then they become a problem. So Elijah has been waiting three and a half years, three and a half years in exile, first by the brook and then with the widow in Sidonia, and now God is sending him back to Israel. He has been using that time to get ready for the battle that is awaiting him. Some of you are in a holding pattern right now. You're in a waiting room. You're playing a waiting game. How are you using that time? Are you preparing? Are you praying in preparation for what lies ahead? Because there is a battle coming. You may not be in the battle right now. You may be waiting for the battle. You may be praying for the battle. You may be wanting to see God do a victory in your life and in some particular area of your life, a financial victory, a relational victory, a health victory, whatever area of your life, and you are waiting and waiting, but are you preparing? Elijah was preparing. God is not permissive. Elijah knew that. He knew that God was going to speak, but understand that when God is waiting, it is because he is doing two things. Say, why hasn't God acted yet? Well, there's two reasons that we know of, that we can know from his word. One is that he's giving us time to prepare. And the other is that he's giving the sinner time to repent. So if God doesn't act as soon as we want him to act in a certain situation, he's giving us time to prepare. He's giving them time to repent. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Oh, uh, or despite, despisest thou, let me start that again. Paul says in Romans 2, 4, or despisest thou the riches of his God's goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God is waiting, he's long suffering, he's patient with us so that we will repent. And for those of us who are in a position where we've repented, he wants us to be praying and preparing. So that's what Elijah was doing. Preparing with prayer to stand for Christ. Prepare with prayer to stand for Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Personalize God's provision. Now, we talked in the last couple of weeks about the provision that God provided for Elijah, but let me introduce you to another man named Obadiah. Obadiah. Now, this is not Obadiah the prophet, but this is Obadiah the king's servant. Let's pick it up in verse Two, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. There was a sore famine in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, the writer wants you to know from the very introduction here that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. This is a fear, fearing God, servant of the Lord. Verse 4, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. 
And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from here, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. Now, isn't it interesting that God does that? But not, not yet. God is going to do that to Elijah. God's going to do that to us, by the way, too, in the rapture, if we're the rapture generation. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them by bread and water? Doesn't God know? Didn't God tell you what I did? And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. He shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand. Now here we see again, the presence of the Lord is what is driving Elijah. He is intimately aware that God is with him at all times. It's what keeps him focused. It's what keeps him going. As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, Obadiah was a man of great faith. From his youth, he was one who greatly feared the Lord. Those words are not there incidentally or accidentally. And yet, even this man who had risked his, not only his position as one of the most powerful men in the country, but his very life, he had put his very life on the line to do what was right. And he had, when Jezebel was trying to kill all the prophets of God, the, the faithful prophets of God, he hid a hundred of them. That, no small task. That must have cost quite a bit of coin for him to pull this off. Quite a bit of maneuvering to pull that off. But he did it to save the lives of these hundred prophets of God. And yet, now in this moment, he's fatigued and his faith wavered. You see, sometimes it's easier to believe God will answer our prayers for someone else than it, than it is to believe that God will answer our prayers for ourselves. Sometimes our faith is wavered. It's not that we don't believe God. It's not that we don't believe that God answers prayer. But sometimes it's hard to personalize that for what's going on in my life. I know that God will answer my prayer when I prayed for you. But see, I know my sin and I know my weaknesses. I know the weakness of my flesh. And sometimes I think, God, why would you answer this prayer for me? God, I know you'll do it for them. I don't, I don't doubt that. God, I know you'll intervene for them. But will you do it for me? I mean, he must have had some struggle. He, number one, he was human, right? We all struggle with something. There's no temptation that you struggle with, Paul says, but that's common to everybody. So we know he struggled with something. We know that he felt convicted when he heard what Elijah wanted him to do. 
So this is not a perfect man. God, God's not looking for perfect men and women. God's looking to make us perfect. God's looking to make us mature, men and women of Jesus Christ. So personalize God's promises. Personalize God's provision. And see, this is a man who was willing to risk it all for God to save others, and yet when, it came, when his own neck was on the line, he thought, I don't know if God's going to do it for me. Is that your struggle this morning? Personalize the provision of God. The Lord is my shepherd. You need to pray that. You need to pray through that. I shall not want. You won't want if he's your shepherd. He will make you to lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. He'll anoint you. He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Your cup will run over when you are trusting him and personalizing that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. doesn't mean that we get everything we want, but it does mean that God promises to meet all our needs. And Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So personalize God's provision. Now, there's something else that I want you to see here before we move farther into this text, and we're not going to take a lot of time to unpack this this morning. We've talked about this uh, a few months ago when we were in, I believe it was Ecclesiastes chapter 7, I believe. Uh, we may come back to this at some point, maybe in the near future. But I want you to see this. There's a principle that God is laying down here for us, and it's that we must always submit to the higher authority. We must always submit to the higher authority. Elijah and Obadiah are both examples. One a prophet, one a, a government official, a high-ranking government official, but both of them were willing to courageously oppose wicked commands of king and queen in submission to the higher authority. And Yahweh is the highest authority. Jesus Christ is the highest authority. My job as a Christian ambassador, an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the United States of America, is to honor my local government, my state government, my federal government to obey human government when I can, when I'm able. This is not, I'm not supposed to look for excuses to be uh, disobedient to human government, but I want you to see very clearly from the example of these men's lives and how God honored them, that nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to give unconditional submission to any man or woman, to any law of man. Any law, any command that violates the law of God, we are to obey God rather than men. That the apostles said, that's New Testament. That's not just Old Testament. The apostles themselves, when they were in front of their leaders, and they said, stop preaching the gospel. The disciples, twice, first it was Peter and John, then it was all the apostles in Acts 4 and Acts 5. Hey, you guys, you guys talk amongst yourselves. Should we obey God or should we obey you? What do you think? We're going to obey God. And so God has established the home. God has established the government. God has established the church. Those are three institutions that God has given special ministry to and special authority to. A government does not have a right to tell you how to raise your children. That's an authority that God has given to Husband and wife, mother and father. That, 
authority is invested in the home. The home preceded any form of government. You are responsible as a father and as a mother for raising your child. doesn't mean that we don't use what the government provides when it's not in conflict with God's commands. But the authority of the father and the authority of the mother is given by God to them. That precedes any kind of human government. There are ministries that God has given to the church. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. Focus on Jesus. That's our mandate. If the government tells us to do anything that contradicts those three things, we will obey God rather than men. That is our command, and that is illustrated for us here in this chapter. It's illustrated back in Exodus chapter 1 when Pharaoh said, kill all the babies, kill all the Jewish men, the male babies. And the midwives said, well, Pharaoh, the, the, the Jewish women are so strong that they're having their babies before we can even get there. And so we can't keep, carry out your command. They, they would not submit to unlawful, divinely unlawful commands. So we will come back to that if we need to in, in the future, but always submit to the higher authority. And here's the last thing I want you to see in this introduction, and that's to speak God's truth to the enemy's lies. When the enemy lies, our response should always be to speak God's truth. Look at what happens when... Verse 17, Elijah and Ahab meet up. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, who he's been hunting for, who he's been trying to kill, trying to capture for three and a half years. Ahab said, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah didn't get into an argument with him. He just spoke the truth. Thou and thy father's house are the ones troubling Israel. He says, I'm not, I'm not the one who's troubled Israel. Now, are his prayers the reason that they were in difficulty? Yes. God had commanded him to pray for famine, and so he had obeyed and prayed for famine. And so from the human standpoint, Ahab could say, you're the one who's caused all these problems. And Elijah goes right back to God. No, no, no. You're the source of the problem. I'm the prayer, but you're the problem. Ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400. These are the, uh, the prophets of Asherah, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Listen, speak truth to lies. Speak God's truth to lies. When... Nathan the prophet stood before a sinning David who had committed adultery. He'd gotten Bathsheba pregnant. And then instead of repenting, he arranged this big scenario where he was going to have Uriah, her husband, killed in battle. And then he would marry her. And then he would kind of make it all look like it was just a natural thing. No sin here. And he may have even fooled Many of the people, although I suspect that there was lots of people in the court who really knew what happened, they just called, the, they said, oh, those are conspiracy theorists. You don't have to listen to them. Those are crazy conspiracy theorists. But then it, it came out, and Nathan stood before the king, and he said, David, thou art the man. He was willing to speak the truth 
to lie. And we need to be willing to speak. When Satan lies to us, this is how Jesus, this is how Jesus responded in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted by the devil. The devil would try to deceive him. Did God really say? Didn't God say this? Didn't God say that? And what did Jesus do? It is written. So that's why you need to know what is written. And 45 minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough a week. You need to be in this book. You need to be in this book. And you need to, you need to know what is written so that you can use it to speak truth to the enemy's lies. It's what Paul says we need to do in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the Word spoken in context, in season, and use that against the enemy. God sends the challenge. Now we get to the mountaintop, and this is one of my favorite Favorite passages of Scripture since I was a little boy. We've seen God send the challenge. Now let's look at God sending the fire. And we're going to see that God's purity is now revealed in His power. His purity is affirmed by His power. I want to show you a number of things under this passage, but let's read it first, and then we'll walk back through it and unpack it together. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye? Between two opinion is if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Notice that some of the prophets didn't even show up. Jezebel's prophets didn't even show up to the contest. But Ahab's prophets of Baal showed up. Verse 23, let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of our gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves, dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking or he is pursuing literally Maybe he's in the bathroom, or he's on a journey, or pre-adventure he sleepeth and must be awaked, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Where were their gods when they called on them? When they needed them to show up, where were they? Nowhere to be found. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water, pour it upon the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it 
the third time. And the water ran around the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. The sky is starting to get a little darker. The sun is starting to set. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them. There. Now, there is a lot in this passage that we're not going to look at, but here's what I do want to show you. Number one, you need to choose your master. You need to choose your God. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve, Joshua said. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, the Egyptian gods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 16, no, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters, so you have to choose your master. Now, when Elijah called for the people to make a choice, the people said nothing. Maybe because they were too ashamed to admit they didn't want to choose, maybe because they couldn't choose, maybe because they didn't know which was the true God at this point. They'd been so steeped in idolatry that they didn't even really know what the truth was anymore. But please understand, God will not share our worship. He won't share it with anyone. He won't share it with anything. And so you need to choose who you are going to serve. Paul said, quoting parts of the Old Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that you need to come out from among them. You need to be separate. There is no communion between God and Belial, which is a name for the devil. There's no communion there. So you can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve Jesus and Baal. You have to choose your master. And here's the incredible promise. When Christ commands your life, when Christ is your king, the battlefield won't matter. It won't matter where you have to do spiritual warfare. Mount Carmel, even from ancient times, even the Egyptians, long before the, uh, it, the nation of Israel got to Canaan, the Egyptians talked about Mount Carmel as a place of pagan worship. This was a high place. This was a place where many sacrifices had been made to the demon gods, and, and they are demons. We'll get to that in just a moment. But understand, when Christ commands, the battlefield won't matter. And when Christ commands, the size of the enemy won't matter. The strength of the enemy won't matter because when God is on your side, he's the only one you need. Elijah stood alone, 450, 450 men on one side, Elijah on the other, and he outnumbered them because he stood where the Lord was standing. He stood with the Lord. If God is for us, Paul said, Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He gave us his own son, Paul says. Why don't you think he's going to give you everything else? Why don't you think God cares about the victories that you need in your life? And, and the most important victory, the eternal victory, he's already purchased for us on the cross. When Jesus paid for your sin, when he rose again, he offered you not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life and sonship, daughtership into the family of God. He's your parent if you are a Christian here today, if you've called upon him to save you. And if you haven't, you can. Today can be the day when you trust Jesus as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, it won't matter where you are. It won't matter who's against you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. 1 John chapter 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Choose your master. Number two, uh, know your enemy. Know your enemy. We've talked about this before. I don't want to spend a long time on this. But false gods are demons. That's not my opinion. That's Leviticus 17.7 and Deuteronomy 32.17. Twice Moses makes sure that we understand that the gods of, that behind pagan worship is very real demonic power. Very real demonic power. See, it wasn't that there was no Baal. It's that God said, uh, you're not coming to the party. You're not even going to be there. God showed his power in the supernatural realm before Elijah even showed up on the mountain. These are false gods. Now, there were many Baals. In fact, in uh, 2 Kings, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but in 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, we see one of the Baals who is identified as Beelzebub or Beelzebar. Jesus actually tells us in the Gospels that that Baal is Satan himself. Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Baal's above. Jesus said, oh, you're talking about Satan. No, Satan's, Satan's not who's doing this. Satan's not divided against himself, not yet. I'm doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. This Baal, though, is the one connected with Asherah. And why is that significant? Well, because we can connect the dots knowing Baal and Asherah. Remember, Something happened back in Genesis chapter 11, one of the most significant moments in all of human history when God divided the nations, when God created the nations. It happened at a tower that we call Babel because that's where the languages are confused. It appears from Genesis chapter 10 that that was the original site of Babylon, which did go on to become a city, a center of pagan worship. Babylon means gate of the gods or gate to the gods. And so when God confused the languages, the people that were worshiping those false gods, they were still worshiping the same false gods, but now they know them by different names. Same gods, but different titles. And so when we look at the mythologies of, throughout history, we can connect the dots, and certain passages of Scripture, we can connect the dots, and we can see that Baal and Asherah in Canaan were known as Osiris and Isis in Egypt. Baal is known as Apollo by the Greeks and Romans. Jesus says, uh, the book of Revelations tells us uh, in Revelation chapter 9 that Apollo, or his variant Greek spelling Apollyon, is the king of the abyss. This is a very real supernatural entity that we're talking about. 
but God doesn't allow him to show, even to show up for the fights. But see, Elijah knew who he was dealing with. Elijah knew who the real enemy was. And we have to always remember that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with people in a different political party than us or uh, a different uh, nation or who, who march under a different flag or by a different creed. They're not the real enemy. The enemy is the principalities and powers that are set against the church. But we know the promise of Jesus Christ that he will build his church and that when he builds the church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So you have to know your enemy. And so when you choose your master, when you serve Jesus and you know your enemy, then you have the authority to do the third thing here, to call out false teachers. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about that because we're actually going to come back and look at that tonight in Galatians chapter 5. But Paul, excuse me, Paul in Galatians chapter 5, that's tonight. Today, this morning, Elijah calls out the teachers, the false prophets of Baal, and the text tells us that he actually mocked them. You say, well, that doesn't sound very Christian. Do you understand that eternal souls are at stake? Do you understand that people's eternity is at stake? He is mocking them because they are teaching things that are sending people to hell. Paul called people out. John called Diotrephes out. There is a time and place. Again, we'll talk more about this tonight. But there is a time and place to mock the error of the false teacher so that men and women will be able to recognize that what they are peddling is poison that will damn their souls if it is believed. So you have to choose your master, know your enemy, be willing to call out false teachers. You're worried about hurting their feelings. Elijah's worried about people's souls. Souls, a destination of a soul is, is more significant. By the way, that that's not permission to just be rude and, and, and ignorant to people, okay? But it is, a, it is a call to stand for truth. And then what does Elijah do? The fourth thing. He calls on God to keep his promises. He calls on God. Again, this is not, I get to call fire down wherever I want it. That's not how it works, okay? This isn't, God's not giving us some kind of Live how you want, and, and God will answer all your prayers, and he's going to call fire down wherever. God doesn't, God doesn't do that. But what he is showing us here in a very powerful picture, because remember, he says it's the evening offering. So the sky is starting to get a little bit dark. The sun's starting to go down. Fire lights up the sky from heaven. And both fire and water are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Both fire and water, the water's going to come. We'll get there in just a second. They both represent not only the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the purifying work and power of God in our lives. God's power is at work to purify us, to make us more faithful, to test and try our faith so that it's stronger, so that we can be more obedient, so God can give us eternal rewards, not just temporary victories, but eternal victories. And notice that God responds to Elijah's pure motives and his pure praise with pure power. So if you want to see some pure power unleashed in your life, make sure that your motives are pure and your praise is pure. What was Elijah's motive? He wanted to see people repent. 
He wanted to see people come to God to serve the true God, Yahweh. Is, is that my motive? Is that my motive for Memorial Heights Baptist Church, to see people get saved, to see lives change, to see people grow in their faith? That, that starts with me. It starts with Pastor Nick and with the deacons and all of you in leadership positions. But it, it, it counts for all of us. We looked at Ephesians chapter 4 briefly on Wednesday night. We're all the body of Christ. All the members have to work together. It's not just top down. We're, we're not the world, okay? We don't run top down. We run from the top top, Jesus Christ down, but then we all work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God responds to pure motives and pure praise with pure power. Um, I'm not going to take the time to look at all of those passages that I've listed there, but let's just go to one of them, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. This is after David's sin of numbering the people, and God is working in David's life to deal with his sin. And the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And verse 19 of 1 Chronicles 21, David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing weed. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David. He went out to the threshing floor, bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee. Let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings and the threshing instruments for wood and the weed and the meat offerings. I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David said to Ornan, For the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. David said, I will not give to God what costs me nothing. God's called a sacrifice, so it's going to be an actual sacrifice. His motives were pure. His praise was pure. God answered with fire from heaven. Are my motives pure? Is my praise pure, like David's, like Solomon's, like Elijah's? Call on God to keep his promises. Lastly, under this section, finish the job and remove the evil. When you see God answer prayer, when you see God move in your life, finish the job. Get rid of the temptation. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you. And run with perseverance, Hebrews chapter 12 says. Run with endurance. The race that is marked out for you. You have a race marked out for you. I have a race marked out for me. Your race isn't my race. My race isn't your race. But we both have this in common. We need to lay aside the things that hold us back. The things that hold me back aren't the same maybe as yours. The things that hold you back maybe don't affect me at all. But I need to, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, figure out what is holding me back. I need to lay that aside. And then the sin that so easily entangles me. 
and I need to run with endurance, with perseverance, the race that is marked out for me. I need to finish the job. I need to remove the evil. When I see God work, I need to respond by purifying my own life even further, by getting rid of things. Now, let me just say this because of the day and age that we live in. We are certainly, we condemn all um, acts of illegal violence. The state has the power of capital punishment. That's in the Bible. I know there are some Christians who want to take those verses out of the Bible, but the state has the power and, yes, the responsibility before God of capital punishment. It's not the church. The church doesn't have that power. We're not the state. We're not running things like some uh, churches back in the, um, the Reformation did where they actually put heretics to death and stuff, and we condemn all of that. But we do need to mark and avoid false teachers. Romans chapter 16 tells us that. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They speak so lovingly. They use all the right words and all the right terms. They're so convincing. They have such powerful voices and rhetoric. But what they're teaching sends people to hell. And so we don't line them up at the brook like Elijah did, but we do need to, Paul says, mark and avoid them. Are you marking and avoiding false teachers? Titus talks about that. Again, we're going to touch more on that tonight as we look at Galatians chapter 5, but I just want to emphasize again, Elijah finished the job. Now, the prophets of Asherah weren't there. They didn't show up. But those that he could get, he got rid of. He cleaned house. And sometimes the reason that we fall back into sin is we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to cut off a a, a relationship, a friendship that is leading us astray. You know that one person? Somebody, uh, I think it was... um, um, I'm blanking, so I'm just going to move on. But the, the, one of the commentaries that I was reading, the commentary I was reading for, uh, in preparation for this pointed out that Ahab seemed to be a better guy when he was away from his wife. The farther he got away from his wife, the more responsive he was to what God wanted to See, actually, towards the end of his life, that he actually repents. But there are people in our life, and hopefully it's not your spouse. Hopefully it's not somebody that you, that you live with, but... There are people in our life that we can cut out of our life that we need to. So let God lead you in who that is. Finish the job, remove the evil. Now, there are a few more verses here I want you to see. God sends the challenge, God sends the fire, but praise the Lord, God sends the rain as well. The rain is what they, the fire is what they needed to get their attention. The rain is what they needed to feed their families. The rain is what they needed to feed their livestock. The rain is what they needed to survive. Don't just pray for the fire of God. Don't just pray for God to show up and put on a show. Pray for the things that people really need. Pray for people's needs. Look at, look at verses 41 through 46 of 1 Kings chapter 18. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, Eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Three and a half years, it has not rained in Israel, but there's a sound of rain. 
Now, I don't know if that's a sound he heard in the, with the ear of faith or if he literally heard that little troll of distant thunder. I don't know. But he knew it was coming. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. What's he doing? Well, James makes sure we understand. He's praying. James chapter 5. He's praying. And he said to his servant, go up now. Listen, I'm too busy praying to even go check. So you go, look toward the sea. Carmel sits over the Mediterranean. You can look out from Carmel over the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful vista there. And he prays and he sends. Said to his servant, go, look toward the sea. Went up, looked, said, there's nothing. He said, go again. Seven times. Seven times. He kept praying. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let me just say, a mountaintop experience from a mountain-moving God is what we're praying for. God fills him with the power of the Lord. This, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's able to do that. But when did the Holy Spirit come upon him this time? In prayer, as he was praying. So two things before we close this morning. Pray all the way. Pray all the way. Don't stop praying when things start to get better. Don't stop praying when you get a good report from the doctor. I'm going to stop praying. Don't stop praying when you get uh, uh, from that friend or that family member who you've been uh, in conflict with and, and now you have a little bit of reconciliation and then you just stop praying. Don't stop praying. When things start to look better, don't stop praying. Pray all the way. Now, in the Bible, just very quickly, th the number three represents divine completion. That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. God is one God, but He is three persons. The number three represents divine completion. The number four throughout the Bible represents completion in creation. There are four seasons, for example. What happens when you put three and four together? You get the number seven. And seven throughout the Scriptures is a number of perfect completion. When the work of God is working with the work of man, his creation, then we get total, perfect completion. Elijah sent his servant three times. He covered the altar with water three times. He sends his servant seven times. Altar representing this is going to be a completely a work of God, not me. But seven times saying, hey, in prayer we are now working with God. We're going to go seven times. I'm going to keep praying. You go look. And God sent the rain. Luke 18.1, He spake Jesus a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. Don't stop praying. Keep planting seeds in, in, in the supernatural in prayer. Keep praying. The unseen realm is the eternal realm. Keep planting seeds there. Keep praying. Don't give up. We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, he's specifically talking about good works there, but prayer is one of the best works you can do. So pray, keep praying, pray all the way. And then lastly, when God moves, move, move with him. Elijah waits 
And as soon as he gets the signal, here comes the rain, then he leaves. And he moves quickly. Because what's going to happen to a land that hasn't seen rain in three and a half years? And the ground is hardened. And the brooks have dried up. What's going to happen when that rain hits? Oh, it's going to flood. There's going to be a flood. It's going to be all kinds of problems that come with the blessing. And so he says, hey, you better get ahead of that. You better be prepared. And when I say go, you go. And how many times have we missed a blessing because we didn't wait for God to send. We didn't wait for God to say go. We got impatient like Abraham and Sarah. Abram and Sarai at the time. We get impatient. We think, God, you're taking too long. Wait. But then as soon as he says go, don't wait anymore. Get off, your gr- get off the ground, get off your behind, and get down the mountain and get to work. When God moves, moves with him. Wait on the Lord, Psalm 27 says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Are you in a season of waiting this morning? Wait on the Lord, prepare, pray, and when he says go, take off. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, God, for the incredible testimony of Elijah, the miracles that you worked through him, around him, as a testimony, God, to the nation of Israel, but God, also to us. We know that Paul says that the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of Scripture we might have hope. And God, may we be strengthened with hope today by the testimony of your purity and your power, God demonstrated so visibly in the life of Elijah. God, may we see your fire fall. May we see you send the rain and the blessings, God. May we be prepared for that. May we be men and women of prayer. Father, we love you. We trust you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That wraps up today's message. We hope this has made an impact on your life and encourages you to follow and reflect Jesus daily. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, Wednesday nights at 6.45, or give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.